You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of 2020. This is Siobhan Cronin, and I'm here with my good friends, Corey Peza. That's me. And Benny Goodman. Hey. (laughs) Who clearly is very energetic tonight. He's told us all about his super, super long day. We feel very sorry for him. But here we are yet again doing introductions (laughs) for one of our next fun guests that we talked to, Ernie Bach. For people that don't live in New England, Ernie Bach is one of the most ridiculous High-level car dealers, like, and by ridiculous, you'll just have to listen for yourself. And I mean that in a very, very good way. Um, but he's kind of a rock star. He's kind of like a, a cultured, crazy man of all sorts of stories that are just amazing. But what he does do is know how to motivate people because he just says, come on down. Come on down to 2020. So try it, Siobhan. See if you can do it. Come on down to 2020. Right? So listen, my fiance went down <laughs> to Bach. <laughs> During October. So just so you know, in New England, October is not October. It's Bachtober. And anyone that lives like within like a thousand square miles of Boston knows that October is Bachtober. And my fiance actually got a car at uh, Ernie Bach's place at Bachtober. And, and so we came on down to Bach's place and we didn't Bach at Bach, but we did get it during Bachtober. <laughs> Yeah, Ernie Bach Jr. Uh, is is a legend around here because he owns these car dealerships, but he's also uh, a longtime friend of Ben's. And, and uh, admirer of Siobhan. Come on, let's be real. He doesn't come on the show yes, for me. It's true. He's a, such a multifaceted person. Well, and it's funny as someone that isn't. Like, let's, not, let's not leave out he's a philanthropist. He's he's pretty much a rock star in right. all kinds of like in life. Yeah, and it's funny. In, in, in this episode, he, he talks about his stint. Uh, now, he's, he's a very successful person who has, who has a very... Uh, established lifestyle and uh he did a stint in in a, in, a, in a rock and roll band and got to experience you know the tour life and uh it, needless to say he wasn't a huge fan <laughs> well we said but, uh, we like get- to lift the, cur- the curtain up for people and i think really what we did for ernie was take away the bidet yeah, right. oh my gosh but still an incredible supporter of music philanthropist somebody that's very passionate about all things music industry related performance so yeah definitely check it out ernie bach jr come on down Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman, and welcome to another episode, edition, slash edition, installment of 2020, a brand new podcast about pretty much nothing other than what the fuck's going on, which is, I don't know. That said, holy shit, before I go into anything about who's on this show and be polite and all the niceties, I have to tell you what I just did. Every time Windows wants to do an install... It's only when I'm in front of like 500 people at a club or perhaps you have like a guy that's worth 35 times your entire family's net worth like waiting for you and you're just waiting. And here's the thing. 
I wouldn't mind if I anticipated what the fucking problem was going to be because it says for 13 minutes, it's at 100%. Let me just show you why. I brought another computer down here because it's not really a good excuse. It's not a good excuse to make this man wait for me. So I, got, I hooked up the camera on the whole nine as it was installing the drivers on this computer. This one said 100% restarting. It was a fucking lie. By the time I had put all the cables back in, it wasn't working again. And it was just sitting in black, a black void that only, only people that, that look at computer screens all day can understand. A void of nothing but just the mouse. Well, it sounds like With, you've had a stressful day, Ben. That said, <laughs> my name is Benny Goodman. The beautiful, lovely, blonde, virtuoso, double master's degree, two billion streams on the interwebs. Like, certainly a better pianist than me, although she doesn't take credit for being a pianist. Siobhan Cronin. And then I got to tell you, this guy's amazing because you want to know what I'm hearing about the new Lost Symphony record, who, by the way, is our totally our sponsor, Lost Symphony. Is it not that like, hey, man, that song's awesome or that like, good job, Ben. It's, dude, did you listen to it with headphones on? Because the mix is so <laughs> ridiculous. And I'm like, but can't, what about me? And everyone's just, like the one thing, nobody ever pays attention to the mixing guy. So that said... I want to introduce Corey Peza, the mixing, the mixing guy. guy. Yeah, he's more than just a mixing guy, but that was a nice there's introduction. So, there's so much I'll more to it. him. And then, <laughs> thank you, Ben. So, listen, I thought Dan Beck was above our pay, our pay grade, but this dude has so much. I shouldn't even call him a dude. It's so impolite. This this man, this this legend in New England, has taken the time to come and rant with us. And he, he called me this morning, concerned, like, "What are we going to talk about?" I'm like, "This is it. This is this is the best it's going to be." But it's Ernie Bach Jr. <laughs> Woo! Woo! I'm excited for this. It's going to be fun. <laughs> so you know, Ernie Bach is known in New. So, so if you're like in Thailand or Singapore or like North Dakota, you might not might not necessarily know. Absolutely not know me. <laughs> right. But here, <laughs> let me tell you something about Ernie Bach. I went to a White Snake Foreigner concert. I walked out simultaneously with Mick Jones from Foreigner and Jason Bonham and Ernie. And more people crowded Ernie as Jason and Mick Jones just like walked off into the nothingness. Just be like, Ernie, Ernie, er he is a fucking superstar in New England. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Vaughn, I know, you, I know you had so many important things to say. Huh. I'm not sure what importance I had to say. I mean, I'm waiting to hear your, your story about what's going on with you. Other so than is, your computer crashing on you. Well, so, what, well, so what's going on with you, Ernie? So like this has been a crazy year, obviously. The name of this podcast is 2020. It's insane. It's insane. I mean, I, we were talking before, before you came on. To me, you know, I'm accepting what, whatever is happening. It's, you know, it is what it is. I'm one guy. I'm not going to – I can't do anything about it. But it just seems like it's not getting any better. It seems like we haven't bottomed out yet. So that's a little concerning. Um, I have a lot of friends in the music industry, as you do, and they're as up in the air about what the hell is going to go on over the next six, eight months. I have a little theater here in Boston that, that we're not, we're not uh, even planning on opening, so that's a concern. There's just... There's just a lot of shit happening. So 
trying to deal with it. Yeah, that's interesting because you're on the venue side because I, I, I really don't know what's going on. All of us were like, okay, well, we're not getting booked for gigs, but it's, I feel like nobody really knows what the trajectory is going to be. Every month you think it's going to be something and then it's something else, so. Really do. The theaters, they have a, they have a loose coalition of, of all the theater guys in the country and they, they, they talk, you know, what's happening here, what's happening there. And it's, it's, it seems now just, and this isn't any inside information or anything like that. This is what, what I feel is the beginning of the third quarter of 21. I think that people will be going back to the theaters. That's, that's what I feel just by kind of putting my ear to the pavement. Do you think it'll be in the same capacity that we're used to, or there'll be a whole, will it be something we're not used to seeing? Will it be a different um, like number of patrons allowed or different setup for the seating? Well, that is happening now. There are small theaters across the country that are doing, you know, or 25% capacity and everything, but I think it'll be pretty much full blown, but, it's probably going to have the same vibe and I haven't been to it, but theaters are open now. Mm. So oh, like movie theaters. Yeah. Like I personally, I never went to the movies even when they were open and there wasn't a problem. Not that I don't like movies. I love movies. I just don't like people sitting next to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, I think the vibe will probably be the same. So uh, if you're adventurous and want to go to the movies just to kind of see what's going on, yeah. that's probably what the theaters are going to be like when they first open. It, yeah. it, it's a whole new thing, man. And, and I, and I got to tell you, I, you feel so bad for the people that are, are hurting and I'm one of them. I mean, listen, I'm a wedding DJ. I'm not doing one wedding right now, but in the same time, I, you know, we're Ernie, you're good friends with Paul Gary. I get yeah. a call from Paul Gary who manages Godsmack also used to play with the band extreme. And he calls me, he goes, Benny, this year. Well, he said this at first, but then he told me in person, he said, Benny, this year started off great. We had, we had all this stadium gigs booked, all this amazing stuff lined up. Like NFL, like all these things in the channel, and then nothing, everything canceled, everything done. And Paul thought, "Oh my God, it's it's all over." And then we realized, or I don't want to take any credit whatsoever. He realized streaming is the way. Yeah. They went to go sell one song, and then next thing you know, they're fucking killing it more than they ever have, and they didn't even have to play, which I know is. Corey's ultimate goal, how can I make the most money to not interact with people? <laughs> right. That, you know, that streaming is an answer, but it's not the, it's, it's, I don't think it's going to make up in the normal musicians of the world, not the high echelon guys. I don't think it's going it, to make it up that they have to play live music. They have to do it. They have to. We were talking a little bit before before Ben, you know, joined after his catastrophe. Um, that was only you, you one catastrophe. I, did, I didn't even get into the craziness. <laughs> well, we'll save it but, for later. Let's save it because it's ridiculous. Ernie, you mentioned something that's going on, going on in Germany right now uh, with the music scene. Right. Germany, the government uh, just announced that they are going to fill a 4,000-seat venue three times with volunteers to see how it goes. So it's kind of like, <laughs> will you go into Chernobyl and see it count for how many seconds before you start to have your, like, your skin come off? Yeah, it's, I just think it's interesting that a European government would take that. It's getting, 
not that it wasn't serious, not that it wasn't bad. But some people don't give a fuck. Some people don't believe in this at all. And I, you know what? You're entitled to believe whatever you want. Like, God bless you. So if they want to pay those guys, or you're like, fuck this noise. And you want to know what? If they come back and they don't get sick, I don't blame them for being like, fuck all you. Right. But well, I think we're going into a whole nother area of craziness. I really do. I think, I, I, I think we are. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem to be slowing down. Uh, and it seems to be just every, it's something new and a new perspective or new aspect every week that someone's figuring out and then panicking about and trying to solve. So yeah, it's, it's definitely been a roller That's coaster. That's why we're saying people are getting 2020, you know, like, so where some people like me as a wedding DJ are, are getting uh, annihilated. You have a, a company like zoom who's probably killing it right now because what are we all doing? We're on zoom. We've I all been forced zoom before the pandemic. Literally. I thought, I thought it was from Batman, Ernie. I yeah. literally thought it was like the thing that came out of the Batmobile, which we'll get into because I want to ask you, yeah, we did a wedding at your house and the groom came in. Well, not the groom, the bride came in with Batman in your Batmobile. And I got to tell you, this is the most ridiculously accurate looking thing I've ever seen in my life. What, what made you get the Batmobile and what did it take to put that together to that extent? Well, I'm, you know, as I'm in the automotive industry and I, I collect vehicles. I collect vehicles for the historic perspective and their uniqueness and to keep vehicles like that running and have them available because eventually gas engines are going to go, it's going to go away. It might not be this generation. It might not be the next generation, but gas vehicles are gone. So they will be like, we look at horse and carriages. So I, I mean, if you go on a hoverboard, you'll know it's, there's no reason. I find that fascinating. So I, as a kid, I was always a Batman. I wasn't a, like a Batman nut. I just thought that, that uh, George Barris produced this amazing vehicle, and I watched the show as a kid, and I had heard this one guy in the United States, the only guy that is, um, that is sanctioned by DC Comics to make Batmobile. <laughs> And he's been making it has a- to be a badass job. Like mom, I made it. I'm the, the Batmobile guy. <laughs> so, so I visited the guy and the guy's the real deal. And he, and we did it frame up mine. Did Alfred, is it really like Morgan Freeman? Yeah. Mine is mine is number 27. It's the 1966 Batmobile based on the, uh, the, the, uh, Futura, but, I, but it's not, it's not a, it's Ernie, not- can we agree that that's the, that's the one that matters? Yeah. But it's not a modified vehicle. <laughs> Was from the ground up. It's two frame, brand new engine. Everything's brand new. Jeez. So that is the vehicle that she rode in, and and I've I've taken it out to events. It's on fire, by the way, at the end. So for those people that weren't alive for the Adam West show, it actually shoots fire. And I just want to say something, Ernie. I know you collect cars. I certainly am not in the same price point, but I collect autographs. And here's my original, you know, Adam West and Julie Newhart. Uh, because I can put this in my wall because I also like the Batmobile. I just can't yeah. shoot flames nice. out of this. <laughs> nice. Yeah. If you watch that show now in the 2020 perspective of, of the 60s, it's, it's still super cool, I think. <laughs> I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing, but it's also amazing how offended people get about things that are just historical. Like, we watched Gone with the Wind at your house. Yeah. And, like, I just – look, that movie's amazing. I don't care if you think it's – racist or stupid it's what happened during that time it's accurate 
Yeah. You know, yeah. so like, the, so like all you're doing is just accurate, just like in Braveheart, like they cut off people's heads. And so like, I, I think it's a great piece of cinematography. And the fact that some people, I, I understand why some people are, are upset about some things, but that just doesn't make sense to me. And it's, it, 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 it's just, we've all been 2020. It's, it's really true. Yeah. It's, it, and I say the word, and it's funny, Ernie, because we went and tried to trademark the word and within six days, it was in the Urban Dictionary. Wow. There's so many people, well, because I said it just naturally. Like, I feel like I just got 2020 into fucking making a podcast. And I looked, I, I, I basically called Scott, um, who put this all together. And uh, I told it to him. He goes, that's genius. I said, dude, what's better than making a verb? Yeah. Well, can I? <laughs> You're a marketing genius, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Siobhan, let me ask you a question. Okay. Of, of the people in this room, you've probably, you've probably been out there in the various countries playing live with your amazing band that Forbes just certified you two billion downloads. And it's, it's, it's funny because not everybody has heard of your band yet yeah. plays live. It's you get, you get total fanatics coming out. Where do you see it? Where do you see when's your next gig? When is your next <laughs> actual live gig booked? Honestly, nothing booked right now. We all are kind of the same, like nobody knows. And I think it's hard because it's a lot of people on various sides of the music industry trying to figure out how to predict what what's the best plan. You know, you've got the managers, you've got the venues, you've got the bands. And it's hard because I'm, a, I'm sure there's a big financial element to it, too, of like, well, is it worth putting on a show at limited capacity? Who's going to make money? Are bands going to be able to afford to go out? So there's going to be a loss at some point. So I, I can imagine it's a really complicated scenario just figuring it out but yeah as of now no idea wow it's weird we're going to start bringing back the hall shows but we could probably agree though that dustin is such a genius that he'll figure out some way to turn right. this into some sort of space story that <laughs> the whole world was about to avoid an asteroid by november <laughs> and that star set somehow saves the planet like bill and ted style and you'll make a gajillion dollars because Ernie, I don't know if you've seen them at their shows, but they print money with all of their merchandise. The I've show, never seen it. I've personally never been to a show, but I've seen it on YouTube. I've seen it, you know, stills and little videos, complete shows. It truly is an amazing experience. It, it, oh, thank you. It's, mind-blowing <laughs> it really i mean yeah when i first joined i was like wow this guy is like really ahead of the game with you know understanding like how to create a storyline and technology and i think he was right you know it's like you know some people that were right on the front end of the youtube boom it, he's kind of like the front end of the tech you know using technology and all of this futuristic stuff that's what he hit it right when it was just you, getting you, super you, popular you hit it right on the head trevon because you said the other day it clicked in my head you said would you ever think about Four guys dressed up as space dudes with like cryo coming out of their back with this story behind. I'm like, this sounds like Scientology to me. And which, by the <laughs> way, is the most genius thing ever because Isaac Asimov was like, oh, dude, you can't make you can't make an, uh, a religion. And Ron L. L. Hubbard was like, oh no, I can. Scientology. And I, John Ron, Travolta. Ron L. Hubbard. Whatever his <laughs> fucking name is. The point is, I don't I don't even want to give the guy credit. But like, honestly, this is the closest thing to Scientology and EDM mixed together. And that's like the most brilliant marketing plan I've ever heard. And if, if how do we how do we see it, Siobhan? Tell us where to go to to, to see the band. Uh, oh wow! Well, uh, just about anywhere. I mean, there's like you said, there's a lot on YouTube. Uh, you can go on Instagram, just search like hashtag Starset if you want to see little live clips. Um, where else? Facebook. You can listen on Spotify. I mean, there's all sorts of media. 
Uh, there's the Star Set Society. There's a website with all, you know, there's a book with the storyline. And, right. you know, there's just all these different side elements that make it like, uh, you know, a complete experience. It's not it, just music specifically. Or some people would call it a cult. <laughs> we, I mean, it, we admit to that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I call it Scientology. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's, it's literally brilliant. And, you know, Ernie, this is a true story. I was at a show waiting for Siobhan. I had DJed a wedding just down the, uh, the street from where they were playing at the Paradise or whatever it was. And I was, I was holding up my camera, but then I was talking to my friend. And someone looked at me so upset. They're like, how could you possibly talk during this witnessing that we're, we're, we're experiencing right now? Yeah. Like, I know them, and they're like, very devout fans. All know them. Yeah. We all <laughs> know them, Ernie. I think it's amazing. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's been interesting going all over the world and seeing a lot of the similarities in the fan base, you know, because you think about having these cultural differences. But fundamentally, a lot of it's the same. It speaks to people that, you know, fear the future of technology or feel cast aside in some way or alienated by, you know, social media and all the things that are going on. And I think that it, the music and the, the environment really speaks to those people and it, it transcends language. And that, that's the coolest thing about it. And what I miss about traveling and performing is reaching those people, you know? Right. And you play all over the world and correct me if I'm wrong, right at the beginning of the pandemic in the United States, when it, when the lockdown started, you were on the road in Russia, right? Yeah, we were. And it's funny because we, we were kind of the last band. I mean, not the last, but one of the last bands to really be actively touring as it was ramping up. We got out of Europe right as it started to get bad and it hadn't yet started in Russia. So it was weird to go there and see that the world looked like yeah. it was falling so you, apart. You guys and then were patient in, zero in Russia is what you're saying. Yeah, which, no, exactly. And so, you know, <laughs> so the joke was, the, yeah. the joke was, oh, we'll get back home and they're going to say, oh, Russia has coronavirus yeah. now and it's going to be Starset's fault. They brought it from fucking Europe. <laughs> so, you know, we, we keep in touch and I, and I was telling you, we're shutting it down. Nobody's doing it. This, that, that, yeah. that. Hey, just sold out crowds. <laughs> I know. It's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, we didn't quite make it all the way through. Halfway through, they started to cancel the larger shows like in Moscow, St. Petersburg. But did you get Petersburg. sick? Did you get sick? Like, weren't you I, the one that did bring coronavirus to Russia? <laughs> a couple we of us did get some here, sort of, we, we got some sort of flu, but it, I got tested and I didn't have the antibodies. So it wasn't coronavirus, whatever it was. But, but when I thought about it after, I'm like, oh my God, I've been shaking all these people's hands. And I mean, at the time, no one was really wearing masks and being cautious because yeah. it wasn't a thing yet, you know? It was still kind of only in China. So, yeah, it was a weird trajectory. <laughs> Ernie, aside from being an automotive guy, you also are a musician and you've done the, the band and the touring and everything like that. So, uh, obviously, I don't, you don't do much of that anymore with playing with the band, but, but what was the highlight of doing that and what was the reason that you kind of steered away from that? I mean, you know, with me, we, we, you know, we were always in support. We always, we never... I mean, we would, we would travel around and we, you know, with, with, you know, the opening up for the bigger bands and we made, we, on a day off, we would maybe do one of our shows in a tiny, tiny, tiny little club. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So we, we were, we were second banana and, and it's tough. It's tough out there. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I have a certain lifestyle that I lead, you know, it's just what I'd say. Yeah, I have a lifestyle I lead, but, but when I was playing with the band, it was, you know, it was, I, I don't know if you know this, but they, they have a holiday in, and then there's, like, levels of less than a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Like garden in. And 
all these, like, all these really, like, like to get the phone turned on in the room, you had to go to the front desk and give them cash. (laughs) (laughs) I had never experienced that, you know? So it was, it was a little tough. I think, you know, we, we did a run. We weren't that popular. We, you know, we could support, you know, the, the bands that, that we played with. We always got a good reaction. But in order to keep that going, we would have had to tour the country four, five, six, seven, eight, ten more times. It just, it just didn't fit where I was. You know? I remember one of my favorite. So we talk a lot about what it takes to be a musician on the show. And you have a very interesting perspective because I, what you said I, to me a long time ago is not even wrong. You said, it, Benny, it's, it's better to make a million dollars first and then go into rock and roll. It's, it makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? You're fucking right. <laughs> because cause here's the thing. Like, it's all I hear about is people scratching underneath the ice. And even, uh, you know, like someone who's like you, who's, you know, used to all of this. You're like, what the fuck is going on with this shit that people should be treated better? And the funny part is I saw some BBC special w- uh, on you. Was it, did they send you to Uganda or Africa or something? Yeah, Nat Geo. I had a, Nat, a show on Nat Geo. It's so cool. I saw where, it where on they, where did they send? Where it. did they send you? They sent me to Uganda. And how did that right. compare to the Holiday Inn? Yeah, because that, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to get at, man. Because you're, you're talking about it like, holy, because we always talk about feudalism on this. It's like, so if those are plebeians, Yeah, but he's what talking was Uganda? in the context of American society. We, you know, we have like more luxuries than other countries do. Yeah. You can't really compare the two. Absolutely. This is, this is, in my opinion, the greatest country in the world. But if you want to check out my trip to Uganda, I have it on Instagram. You can go to Ernie Bach Jr. on Instagram. And scroll down a little, you'll see it. I think it's 26 episodes. They're only two or three minutes each, which tells tells the whole story. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, it, it was fun, but it's had they told me where I was going, how I was going to live, and what they wanted me to do, I would have never gone. So, how did they pitch it to you? They never gone because. Well, they pitched it to me. Nat Geo was experimenting with original programming, and they pitched it to me about travel and going somewhere and making a difference and this and that. And they held just enough information from <laughs> me to get me to go. Now, I'm glad I went. And if you watch the show, we did incredible things in that country unbelievable things in that country and as a matter of fact i'm still doing stuff with uganda to this day to this day i'm still supporting the bill you know you know that's that's the whole point that's what makes that show so good is because they didn't tell you because my favorite scene in the entire thing and people can go watch it but i'm not spoiler okay ernie arrives at uganda he's in a car and somebody comes to him and they're like, we have a gift for you. And they hand him a live chicken. <laughs> the look on his face. Is, first off, I want I want to say that my look would be exactly the yeah. same as yours. Because like, you go like kind of like that. What the fuck is this? <laughs> like, is this supposed to like, am I supposed to eat this? Or like, you, you go to hand it back. And like, I felt like you're an Indiana Jones. Like, you can't give it back. That's more food I, than I, they have I, in a week. Yeah, I, I had never, I had never touched one before. What they do. So what they didn't show on this show is they did a celebration for me when I was leaving and they put me in, they put me at the front of the the gathering and they all came by and they had goats and fruit 
and chickens and and rabbits and and as they were dropping them off, I looked at the guys. I'm going, I can't take this. I said, just do it. We'll, we'll take care of it. Just be nice. Just, <laughs> just. And then, and then when they, the funny thing is, I, I, there were a lot of things they didn't show on the show, but when they said goodbye to me, the village elder, the, the mayor of the place, got up and said, I want all women carry that are now carrying a male child to name them Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. So, <laughs> so there's be, a village of Ernie somewhere. Oh, yeah, you I was say, this, is, this is like multiplicity because remember all those A's commercials like 10 cents a day, you can have a little child write to you and you can have to keep a pen file. Now Ernie ha ha writes to er Ernie's in a different country <laughs> yeah. for, for just, and by the way, he, you, you didn't, you give them like, Water, like, didn't you give them running water or something like that? So they well, I don't want to. People won't watch it anyway, so it's not that I'm going to spoil it. Yeah, no, I, I, I put some. You're great. And you're philanthropist. I I put some wells in. I built the school. I just I we just finished the second building of the school about a month ago. Nice. Putting in putting in um, bathrooms and just. Just helping them, helping them out. I love the people of Uganda. I really do. I I fell in love with them. I think that it, it's just an incredible, incredible place. No, that's amazing. That's one of the things I love about you is how philanthropic you are and all these ideas you come up with with ways to help different types of people. So I, I wanted to bring up Music Drives Us because that's another thing that I absolutely love following. If you could talk a little about that, you have this amazing organization that helps bring music to kids and all, all sorts of different things. Well, I, ha I have a foundation. We're going on our... I think 12 or 13th year. It's called Music Drives Us. You can check it out at musicdrivesus.org. Corey and I were talking about this before we, before we started, that right now raising money really for anything is, 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 is difficult. You know, if you have it for the arts and, and, and stuff like that, it's, it's really difficult. So we're, we're kind of just laying low for a bit, but we have one more one more funding, one more program that we're supporting, that we, we have everything, we're just ready to pull the trigger. We have, we have 750 ukuleles for the Boston school system. That's like so awesome. All, all, ready, all ready to go. It's just a matter of how physically we're gonna transfer it because- can I, can, I, can I make a request of you? Because one of my favorite things in the entire world is to watch Ernie Bach Jr go to a school with a bunch of children with like 700 uh, uh, recorders. And you just, because you go yourself, you're, you go yourself and you hand them out to people and it's absolutely amazing. Well, and, but, what, but, well, but what I want with it is I want you to put like something like Whitney Houston, uh, I want to dance with somebody who loves me with it because that's how I feel every time I see it. But I feel like you'd get so many more people into it if you just put like a crazy hype song along with you <laughs> handing out ukuleles and throwing, you know, a recorder so all the parents hate you as musicians' parents should. Well, I, the reason we're doing ukuleles is, Siobhan, maybe you can help me out with this. When you were a kid, I think it's second or third grade. You have to take a, a musical instrument, the recorder. Mm -hmm. Take the recorder. Yeah, so we had to take recorder. And then on top of that, I mean, I went to a school that was kind of arts focused. So you had to choose another instrument. But everyone, no matter what, had to take recorder. Okay. Yeah. And, that's, and so what's happening now in the modern age is they're replacing the recorder with ukulele. Because 
I think it's a great idea. The recorder is yeah. good, but you know, the kids when they play it, they want to play it in at Christmas, you know, the, or, or or a holiday or whatever. They, you know, all the relatives are around, and you whip out the recorder. People run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Recorders like if you're practicing yes. bagpipes, okay? Yeah. You know what the great thing about uh, a ukulele is? You could do the Pete Towns and you only have to hold one note to make it right. And kids just go like this! <laughs> this is the best thing ever versus... A great instrument for today, you know? So that's, so that's our next project with Music Drives is to get the 750 ukuleles into the Boston school system along Thank you. with 500 books written by... Coy Bowles, the guitar player for Zach Brown. He donated, mm -hmm. he donated some uh, inspirational kids' books that he's been writing, which are really excellent. So that's what's that's next awesome. at, on Music Drives Us. We'll get that done. But after that, we, don't ha we, we have nothing scheduled. Yeah, there's a lot wow. of unknowns, I can imagine. Yeah. You know, one of the cool things I like about you too, Ernie, was because you know, when I first, the first time I met you, you, did, you didn't internalize me. I met you when you were, you know, had short hair. You didn't have any of the facial hair. And you looked very astute businessman. But like when I actually met you with Paul Geary, because Paul Geary is such a great guy. And he took me, he took me to the Boston Music Awards and said, hey, bud, come hang out with us. I came downstairs, right? And I walk into a room and it's Glenn Hughes from Deep Purple. It's like the DeLeo brothers from Stone Temple Pilots. It's Greg Hawks from the Cars. It's literally Barry Goudreau from fucking Boston. And we're That's from Boston. Boston. So that Next makes sure I'm from Guns N' Roses. <laughs> it was so bananas. I was just like, who the fuck is this guy? And then you took us to Scampo downstairs and all these guys hung out and they all talked to us. And I'm like, dude, this guy's the coolest rock star that I you're like Bruce Wayne, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like the rock star version. But when I used to, I used to have, I looked quite different 15 years ago. I used to have very short hair. I used to work 12, 14 hours a day, wear a suit every single day. And I don't know what happened, but. <laughs> I don't know if I could do it. Yeah, I, I can't it, do corporate life. <laughs> it, was tough. it was really tough. What I want to talk about is, is it you, you always talk about, so I know your son, Alex, is a, first off, an incredible drummer. Yeah. And I got to tell you, really it, was, it was funny because we've, there's, there's a, there's, he is. I love that you say he's getting good because he's, <laughs> he's excellent, but like, that's the right attitude. Tell him he's only kind of good. <laughs> but when I first saw him, he played with Steel Panther for a moment and everyone in the world said, you did a great job. And I was like, dude, that was terrible. And he was like, what? I said, but here's what I'll do for you. I'll get you a drum lesson for Christmas. And that kid, the next time he played with Steel Panther, he fucking tore it up and i gotta tell you that one of the coolest moments i ever saw with that with, with him playing was he had never heard any deep purple and he, we go to show up to glenn hughes and glenn goes hey man do you want to play on stage with us we'll play some smoke on the water alex goes what song i'm like you ever heard smoke on the water which makes you kind of not the greatest parent ever Ernie, but i won't hold it against you but he had never heard smoke on the water but he played it perfectly it's like he was I think he might have. I think he might have stretched the truth that he didn't. Uh, that he, <laughs> because he, but he would. Well, I'll tell you. I, I have a son, and he's he's uh, sixteen, seventeen. And what's really fun with me is that we'll we'll be in the car listening to classic rock, and a major, major, major song that was huge in the in the genre he had never heard before. So he's sitting next to me, and he's hearing it for the first time. And oh, it's, that's cool. So cool. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it was one of the funnest moments I had with him was with Jason Bonham, because obviously Jason Bonham, being the son of John Bonham from Led Zeppelin, has some big shoes to fill if he's going to play that music. So he, you know, obviously having the reputation that you do in our area, there's a huge shadow. So he, having him talk to Jason, Jason said, listen, Alex, you, you, you got to be fucking good because everyone's going to judge you extra hard. And I got to give the kid credit. He, he's, he has done everything. He, he sent me blood on his drum set he'd been playing so many times, and I just said, go harder, and he did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he likes it. You know, it's funny with kids, the parents, the, the biggest mistake a parent can make with kids and music is if the kid says, hey, I want to play violin, as an example, and the kid gets the violin, tries it a couple times, and goes, this sucks, I don't, I don't like the violin, and the parents go, you can't quit, you have to do it. You committed. That's what you can turn the kid off of music for the rest of his life doing that. Let him search. My son started playing guitar and then he didn't, he didn't take to it. Then he started playing bass. He didn't take to it. And then when he hit drums, bam, that was his instrument. So if I have any, if any parents are listening to it now, let the kid experiment. If, he, if you buy him a guitar and he doesn't like it, suck it up, get him a, <laughs> have him find, have him or her find their own way. But don't you think there's a line? Because I feel like if you traumatize someone, like I'm sure, I'm sure Anne-Marie traumatized Siobhan. My mom traumatized no, but this me is with funny a because that's, She didn't, because she let me pick what I wanted <laughs> and I actually love Viola, but she did make my, my sister mom do it and you're was right. Like, are you a right. quitter? Are you, a, my mom used to look at me and she's like, am I raising a quitter? No, she, she tormented me. She literally, but it wasn't until she left me alone that I actually got good. But like she tormented me and made me feel terrible about it where I felt guilty all the time for playing. So no. would you, Siobhan, you said that you, your mother did that to your sister? Yeah, so I mean, I obviously I'm older, so I chose first. We both took piano and violin. So she had my sister start in the same vein as me, and I loved it. Like, loved practicing, loved working out. My sister hated every minute of it. And she said, you're, you're stuck with it till you're 18. Oh, jeez. You know, and to this day, my sister hates it. She not only hates the violin, she hates listening to the violin. She hates <laughs> going to violin concerts. She resents the violin with every fiber of her being. And she went off and became like a photographer. And just, concept, yeah. <laughs> Ernie, yeah, exactly what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you live and learn. I mean, I, I, you're right. It's hard to know because you do want your kids, I'm sure, to be, be committed to anything. You don't want anyone to be wishy-washy because it does take commitment. Right. But yeah, yeah, you have to have the resilience. And there has to be that spark that keeps you interested too. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I was a kid, I, w I, you know, I grew up in the, uh, I, was, I was 10 in 1968. So I, I, I really, I'm not, I wasn't really a kid of the 60s. I was kind of too young for that. I consider myself a kid in the, in the 70s. And, and back, back then, everybody played an instrument. I mean, in, in my neighborhood, there, there were garage bands. Everybody had record players. I mean, music was just ingrained in our culture. Yeah, that's not. I wonder yet. It's no, not like ahead, that. I was gonna say. So I, I taught lessons for for several years, and uh, I kind of stopped. And uh, it's because I was teaching kids that kind of like what you were saying, Ernie. Their parents were sending them to lessons, and they did not care at all. They're they're playing guitar, and I would say, all right. I'm like, well, I'll tell you what. You know, we've done some scales. We're learning a little bit of theory. Why don't you tell me your favorite song, and we'll just see if we can break it down. And they go, I don't listen to music. Yeah. Like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> like, how do I, how do I teach you to like appreciate something if you don't actually listen to music? It was, it happened more than once too. When I was a kid, nobody didn't listen to music. Yeah. 
everybody listen to music. So many more distractions now. You can go on your hoverboard. You can go on your 3D like video game. You get there's so much other stuff. So like music has been devalued, and even this the the power of music to a lot of people has been devalued. And it, it it's sad. And I'm so glad that you do what you do because there's nothing more that you could do than give the 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 excitement. Because one of the questions we always ask people, and I'll ask you this, Ernie. When did you realize at one point that music was your superpower? Because for those that don't know your history, you know, you fought your father for quite some time about wanting to be a musician. Did you not? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. But I, I always liked music. When I, with, with me, the watershed moment was Woodstock. When Woodstock happened, it was all over the television. It was all over newspapers. And, and then when the record came out, when the actual record came out and you could hear what the hell was going on there, it, just, it changed my life. I just, I just loved it. But I never really, I'm really, you know, and, and no comments on this. I'm really not like a great guitar player. You know what I mean? I, I, I play, but I wasn't like, I, like my first cousin on my mother's side, Three out of five of them have perfect pitch, and the other two have relative pitch, and they are monsters on their instrument. It's like somehow I missed a gene. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what the hell happened, but I always liked it. You know what I mean? I always liked it, and and when I was a kid growing up, I didn't. You know what I mean? I I just I just I, it never it never came naturally to me. It it just didn't, and I accept it. You know, it is what it is. No, it's, it's hard. And I mean, it, to speak about like the current generation. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you had to be so much more inventive, like when you were growing up, because now you can get instant gratification from just turning on YouTube. Even the story about waiting to get the recording from Woodstock. Now kids can just hashtag this, go on YouTube, watch it while it's happening. There's absolutely no time to build up that excitement well, or that so, waiting so or funny wanting to listen to Because we, ju we just did a song with Nuno and you obviously know Nuno. And one of his whole things is, he hates perfection. Yeah. He, he tried to convince it, convincing me like I didn't get Jimmy Page. Like I don't understand that. He's like, Betty, I don't want super perfect at quantized. I like the feel. And one of the things you get with a guy like, you know, Betancourt is just they play it so proficiently, but it still sounds like a human being. Right. And that's something that I feel like has been so lost today. Right. Um, because everyone now can go on the internet and this is what Nuno laments over and, and just watch Eddie Van Halen's technique and have someone show you slowly. Whereas back in the day, Eddie Van Halen played with his back to an audience. So nobody would know what the fuck he was doing. Right. I read Keith Richards, uh, autobiography. It was, it was, it was thick. It was, it was a little, it was a little tough to read, but it was great and everything. <laughs> but, but what, what he said, and I completely agree um, early on, and I'm just saying what I'm just repeating what Keith Richards said, and I agree with. Early on in his career, he figured out that that music is messy. It's messy. It's 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 a little of this. It's a little of that. You try a little of this. You try a little of that. It's not absolutely a science. In his words, it's messy, and I completely agree with that. Well, I'll tell you, it's funny that you say that because one of the exercises I've been doing now because everything is quantized is me and my drummer um, will get together once a week and we'll play songs and we'll try to play them absolutely perfectly without editing at all, at all. Because he, he's 47, so he looks at me and he's going to hate me for saying that. He looks at me all the time and he's just like, 
So if you can't play it, why, 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 why would you play it? If you can't right. fucking play it, why would you play it? Because you come from a time where literally the best you could do is punch it in at the right time. And that was it. That was fucking it. And, and now you could just literally have Corey go, dun, 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 and now you have Rush. <laughs> yeah, but still, like, even, even with today's, in my opinion, even with today's technology, even with everything at your fingertips, it's still incredibly difficult to produce a product that people really love, embrace, and really, you know, hits them in the heart. Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Well, there's definitely a separation. I hear this with violinists, too. Like, people can have absolutely perfect technique, but you feel like there's no soul. And you really, like, the human comes through. As, and that's what I love about violin, especially, because it's a primarily an acoustic instrument. Right. You know, I always prefer to play acoustic violin because it's meant for live performance. It's not really meant for recorded albums. People, you know, hundreds of years, it's all just live music. And people became well-known because of their sound, because of their tone. And that just comes from here. You know, there's some science to it. It, but it's it, it's not replicable, you know. I give, a, I give an example of, of that. What we were just talking about, my I, I, uh, a friend of mine, which which I think everybody knows, Barry Goodrow, who was amazing guitar player from Boston, the original guitar player for, for for one of the original guitar players for the multi platinum selling band Boston. Just an amazing, amazing player, incredible player, and Barry can pick up. Any guitar. Do you ever pick up a guitar and you go, I don't know if I do this. You know, it doesn't play. It doesn't. You know, he can pick up any guitar and sound spectacular on it. It's so, so it's, funny you say. It's so funny it's you say that because I was just. It's not the guitar. It's 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 the person. Well, that's just the yeah. funniest thing is that there's so many people that say like, you know, I played Brian May's rig and I still sounded like myself. I always say it's like 90% in your fingers. And if you have a good amp and you have a good guitar, it's just a tool that gets you there. But it's funny because I actually was in the studio with Corey, with Barry Goudreau. And I have a bunch of Marshalls all set up. And he's like, can we plug into those? And I said, no. <laughs> he's like, why? I'm like, because I have a Kemper. He's like, I don't want to use one of those, those soulless things. And I plugged him in. <laughs> I plugged him right in. And he goes, this sounds like me. And Corey's adjusting it a little bit more. He goes, oh, no, this really sounds like me. He goes, this sounds better than I normally sound. Like, he was like, so excited. I'm like, dude, it's in your fucking hands. It's, good. it's, it's all you, bro. It's just, a, it's just a joy to see him play, especially like right in front of you. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah, we had, we had the chance to, to do a couple songs with him live, um, and I thought it was really cool because we were just playing in, in a very simple setup. We, I don't think we even had monitors or anything, and so we were kind of doing a sound check, and I remember asking him, like, all right, uh, do you, is, is there anything I can tweak? Like, do you want me to turn the amp? Like, can you hear yourself okay? And he goes, I can't hear myself at all. I'm like, oh, do you want me to do anything? He's like, no. It's like, fuck that. It's rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, you're so cool. <laughs> God damn it, Barry. That was so much fun. Well, here's actually the funny part is, is that we did, so we just did a song with uh, with Nuno and and Marty Friedman, who by the way acted as if they didn't know who the who the other one was, and I, I they're two of my favorite guitar players. But Marty always says, "Don't have anyone play over me. If there's going to be harmonies, I'm going to do them myself." So I told this Sounds to Nuno, like and you know Nuno, he doesn't color in the lines. <laughs> and here's the other thing is that Nuno doesn't normally. He doesn't normally take a, a ton of time on stuff. He'll listen to it and put it out. But I kind of gave him a hard time. We kind of, you know, had a little tiff. And he basically calls me up. Well, I called him up because he didn't call me. Um, yeah. And he's like, am I fired? And he sent me the most ridiculous thing, but he played all over Marty. And I basically said, why would you do that? Even though it's amazing sounding. And he basically yes. said something to the extent, and I'm paraphrasing Nuno, 
if you're going to write a song that sounds like Boston, don't ask the Boston guy not to finish the Boston part. <laughs> and he basically wrote the most perfect Tom Schultz, Barry Goudreau yeah. harmonies you've ever fucking heard. I can't wait so, for everyone yeah, to hear Stay it. tuned for uh, potentially a, 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 another chapter of Lost Symphony at some point. <laughs> yeah, we don't go chapter 11. It'll be chapter three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, Ernie, what are you doing to keep yourself busy right now? <laughs> I think I'm like everybody else. I've just been, I've been staying home. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I, I live alone. I have, I have the kids come over. It's like a, they can come over anytime they want. And I, I've just been, I've been hanging out. I can't, um, I've been to two restaurants since March. Wow. I didn't, I didn't enjoy, even though they were great restaurants, I didn't enjoy the experience. It's, um, and I'm not, I'm, I'm a healthy guy. I'm, I'm 62 years old. I'm, I'm in decent shape. I, you know, if I ever get the virus, hopefully I can, I won't die from it. So it's not like that I'm paranoid to go out. Yeah. It's, the environment is just not conducive to me to go out. Oh, yeah. it, but it, it isn't really, it shouldn't be for anybody um, that shouldn't want to. But that said, I, I, I can tell you why you don't want to go out because you were kind enough to have me back at your house last time. And let me tell you, uh, am I allowed to talk about this? Am I allowed to talk what you, what you've, what you've built? Well, before you talk about it, I've been, I've been in the same house for 23 years. And the second I moved into the house, I started renovating. And 23 years later, like last month, I just finished. Wow. <laughs> so it's, so my place is done and um, I enjoy it, you know? Oh, so can we talk about why it's so cool? Um, well, yeah, if you want, you know. No, I, I, know. I, I do want because it's bananas. Because here's the thing. So the, one of the things I, lo I love about you is I always think to myself, you could actually be Bruce Wayne. Like it could be based on you. And like if, if I was in your position, would I do anything different? And, and honestly, I wouldn't. I think what you're doing, giving clarinets and, and recorders. Ukuleles to the children and then doing your great work. Like, so let me just tell you what it's like to go over to Ernie's house. So one, he has a mausoleum. Okay. And it's like built with like amazing stone. There's like a nine, was it a 19 foot uh, chandelier that comes down well, all this. But who wants to be buried with strangers? Let's, let's, <laughs> I don't even want to sit on a plane next to strangers. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're going to be in your final resting home, I think it should be in home. And most states will allow you to be buried at, at your house. But the point well, is, it's a, a mausoleum point. that looks kind of like the Dome of the Rock from not too far away. It's pretty, it's, it's amazing because you can go in there, you have an audio visual system. Because I think to myself, what would I play if I was going like, to, forever? And you're like, I have an answer to that. And you play me some Neil Young. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. I'm like, you thought it all out. And I'm like, this is exactly what I would do. But then all of a sudden I see all this other construction going on as I pass by your house. And you built what you've now referred to as a car salon and inside. So like you, you hear about Ralph Lauren's collection where people go, well, it's not about how many he has. It's about the fact that he has the best Ferrari. But you have like the best of the best, but in quantity all immaculate i've never seen more beautiful cars in a row and you know everything you know everything about every car you you deserve it well it's like like we said before it's it's i think it's it's historic <laughs> preservation i think that you're these, a defender of the faith yeah these vehicles are out there 
and somebody has to keep them. I mean, they, they're just such amazing machines that, and they're in, in, in a hundred years, you'll look at them like it's a, you know, a model T or something like that because mm -hmm. of the technology is going. So I think the gas powered car, has you know is basically on its last leg so i think to preserve them to for 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 later generations to understand you know how this was is very important yeah i mean they're essentially they're works of art uh, you know at that point absolutely yeah well, and, and it's also a testament to your perfect taste because the thing that i really really love about you is it's not look there's a lot of guys that go and say just get me the best stuff you know every single detail you're like this was built in israel this is like done backwards did you see the door open this way well these are the only ones with these hinges made only in 1963 you know every single yeah but i could oh. say i could say the same thing with you with guitars your knowledge of guitars is insane i mean it's it's unbelievable you can look at an old gibson and don't even have to look at the number. You want to know why? It's because every time I come to your house, there's a beautiful one leaned against a, a couch, and I'm, I'm my my soul hurts. I'm like, why would you put that 1902 Martin just lean it against the couch? What's wrong with you? Yeah, but I believe I believe guitars not they're not bounced around, but I believe that they have to live with you. You know what I mean? You you can't you know you can't put them on a pedestal. I, sure. I, I think that, you know that that's I think they're the best that way. Not, not, not I agree. Just, they're kind of like horses. You know, you gotta, you gotta break them in before they earn your respect. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and they're meant to be enjoyed too. It's just kind of like, if you'll have the instruments, you want to play them. Oh, yeah? I can't think of violin just being in a case forever. That makes no sense to me. I mean, I'll tell you, even when I buy new shoes, if I wear them without socks, my back to my feet are all fucked up. You, you, you gotta wear them in. You gotta wear them in, uh, or dude, I'm going to be bad. I'm going to be wearing sandals for at least a week. Just so you know. I to me right now in today's world, jeans, dungarees, whatever you call them, but that is like wearing a tux. That is like dressed up, putting jeans on. I, I've had jeans since March. I've had jeans on maybe twice. Yeah, right. <laughs> Ernie, you want to know why I totally believe that? I'm just going to tell you. So your our, our friend Paul got married there, and Ernie shows up in a Lululemon. <laughs> full body suit when like you have Aerosmith <laughs> members like all dressed like Nuno Bencourt's got like 16 scars around him and his house is like right there he can walk in there I'm sure you have like a crocodile suit or something some Prada something or another but he's like nah I'm gonna come out in literally a track suit like Tony Soprano and you just owned it wow well, like, God bless you Ernie Bach Jr. I'm a big Lululemon fan it was like this is a Lululemon it's a t-shirt and and some sort of pants but but you got to preface that it was a, it was a warm day. I mean, and I was running around doing all this different stuff. I didn't want to, yeah. I didn't want to, uh, you know, get all hot and sweaty, but yeah, I'll you tell you, not to, not to go off the reservation to inside, but people were dressed all those rock stars. They know, they know how to dress. I'll tell you, you invite them out and they kill it. They absolutely oh, kill oh, well, first off, mm -hmm. one of my favorite moments ever talking about that is, First off, all rock stars like John Barbados. So that's just one thing. I remember we were all standing together. It was you, me, Dave Mustaine. I think it was like Johnny Lang, um, your son. And we were all wearing John Barbados. All of us. At least one piece. I went, to, I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction of Deep Purple 
because Glenn Hughes got inducted with Deep Purple. And I, I invited John to my table. So John was at my table, and we were sitting there, and, and we were pointing out almost every single act had at least one piece of our <laughs> well, here's wow, the other thing. Amazing. Here's the other thing I've learned from you, Ernie, and you set this trend from even before this, because I remember thinking five years ago, what is he doing? But now I've seen it everywhere. The way you peacock in, in the rock and roll world is the longer your scarf is. Because I remember you were wearing your scarf, <laughs> and then Dave Mustaine was wearing a slightly longer scarf, and then all of a sudden, Kenny Arnoff shows up, who's like five feet tall, even, with like a full-blown red scarf that was like literally like behind him, like a, like a wedding dress. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what it is. That's, how, that's the only way to let people know your rank, because Kenny Arnoff rules all. Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a great guy. But no, I, I just as a side note, I think the, the rock guys dress amazing. They just... They just—they're just so cool. They're just so cool. I—I I was, uh, was going to—I um, think it was the Grammys. I was going to the Grammys with and with Glenn Hughes, and it was me and Glenn in the in the car, and and he was you know just like you know pulling his collar up and shit like that, and I hadn't put a scarf on, and I said, Glenn, I go, Glenn, help me out here. How, how am I going to wear this? And he took that scarf, and he says. He says, this is how you do it, my boy. And he took it and he did it and he fluffed it up. He goes, act like you don't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah cool. The one thing about Glenn Hughes is he always looks badass. That guy's like yeah. pushing 70 years old. And, and, not, and that's also another cool thing about you. You love to put up people at your house and you have like a rock garage that comes by. I remember one time we did go see Glenn Hughes and then he came back with his giant scarf and his John Barbados. And, and, he, and he, he was just like, welcome back home. He, and he's so pleasant. I think some of my friends that are in the industry that, that play, that do tour, when they come to Boston, they, they like staying here because, you know, home-cooked meal, privacy, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a nice vibe. Yeah, absolutely. And they don't have to stay on a Holiday Inn. So that, like, <laughs> oh, God, a garden inn. A garden <laughs> inn. Garden no, I'm <laughs> Hold on. So I'm going to tell you, Ernie, how you accidentally 2020 me this week. So first off, my girlfriend Cindy sold her house. Okay. It's a buyer's market. She put it up on like Thursday by like Sunday. I had like 25 showings set up and like I had six offers. Right. My brother, my brother did it. It was the fastest sale. He's totally stoked. So my girlfriend's moving everything in. And you know, she's a girl. So she, she's a woman. I was going to ask, where's the space? She's, You're going to have to clear out some of your, your records. Listen, and this is, this is going to be just a space until we get a better house. We're going to buy a better house. The, the lady works very well, and hopefully this will pay off. But she's going through all my stuff, and I'm like, you can have drawers, honey. You can do whatever you want. And I hear from the room, what the fuck is this? What girl left her underwear in your house? Why would you ever do that? I'm like, babe, I would never do that to you. I swear to God, I would never. Hey, what the fuck is this? <laughs> oh, yeah. hey, that was a promotional device. <laughs> that is very wise I, I marketing. Think, I, think, I think maybe <laughs> ten, like five, six years ago, you gave me a bunch of those and said, "Hey, put those on whoever you want." <laughs> and I said, "I said, I said to her, Cindy, you should, you should tell Ernie that he should take you out for dinner and you'll wear that thing because she has a nice ass." <laughs> Funny how the social dynamic has changed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say. You just want to go over now. Yeah, I love this. This is great. She, but she was mad at me, but I was able to verify. I was like, listen, if you don't believe me, 
Have you ever passed by Route 1? Have you turned on the radio? Have you watched television? Because again, for everyone that lives outside of Massachusetts, if there's a word for you, it's ubiquitous. And it, you're, you're literally on the, you haunt us, Ernie. And I mean, may I even say that there's a month named after you. It's Bucktober here in Massachusetts. <laughs> and I think that that's, like, that's a certain level of badass. Like, you know what? You could be Slash as your band, as a guitar player. You have a month named after you. <laughs> That's that's unbelievable level. Yeah, I think that we definitely want to hear some more of these uh, these rock and roll stories because that's something that we do a lot on the show. We talk to these musicians and they got all these cool stories. We know you have tons. We're coming up at the end of our part one first hour. So uh, we can kind of wrap this one up here and then we'll pick it up uh, for part two and dive a little deeper. And I promise well, you, you will have no, no delay from Windows. It's 100% and it's already loaded up. <laughs> Although you want to know what the funny part is during this episode, it actually said three times, do you want to restart again to renew please, something yeah, else? Please don't. And, and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? So, are you goddamn kidding me? So everyone, uh, so Ernie, where can people check out like Music Drives Us? MusicDrivesUs.org. Dot org. MusicDrivesUs.org. And I'm on, I'm on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Facebook, Ernie Bach Jr. Come hang out, you know? That's awesome. Very cool. Well, listen, uh, everyone, you, you, you guys didn't have to wait for me, but just so you know, I remember I'll be going to liken what just happened at the beginning of the show to watching Billy Joel on the Grammys because he was sitting up on the stage in front of his piano with a fly swatter, <laughs> just looking at his watch. And then he goes, do you know how much this is costing right now? And that's exactly what I was thinking to myself when Windows was saying 100%. I'm making a guy that literally owns an auto mile. Wait for me. And that's how you got 2020. We'll see you soon. Thanks for sticking around and we'll talk to Ernie soon. Thank you guys. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.